Be seated, please. Well, I think it's so special to see our, our children being trained to give and to be about mission. So, so happy we instituted that wonderful program. Thank you, Ed, for that idea and for leading us in worship and serving here. And Brother Skeeter, thank you for that wonderful full communion thoughts, centering our mind on the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. I want to say good morning and welcome to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we want to let you know that you are our honored guest and that you're always welcome to this church whenever the doors are open. And we believe you've come to the right place because I don't think you'll find a finer church. We're going to switch it up and say in all of Orange County. Amen. So I want to let you know that uh, we are having a vacation Bible school meeting immediately after the service today. And for those of you who are volunteering or are part of vacation Bible school, you know how our meetings go. So I'm not going to keep you too long at all, but we want to update you on a couple of things and get you plugged in and, and, and up to date. So that's immediately after the service today. So I'd ask uh, that you would stay with us. Today I'm excited because we're going to be starting a new series of lessons on the book of 1 Peter, as you can tell. Now, I don't think I've preached through 1 Peter before, so this is exciting, exciting material to me as I spent some time just processing and praying about uh, this, this, this book. Uh, my plan is to teach through the five chapters of this book, so I would encourage all of you uh, to read through the entire book of 1 Peter. I think you'll find the book uh, encouraging and pretty straightforward as you read through it, and it won't take you too long at all. So I would encourage you to do that, to read through the book of 1 Peter. I think it'll bless you. Now, if there was a thesis for the, the book of 1 Peter, I believe the thesis would be the Holy Living Church the holy living church. And I'll give you some reason on why I think this is the thesis, but in this book, Paul or Peter teaches his readers how the church uh, should live in the world and how that uh, in this world we as a church will sometimes encounter people that don't necessarily agree with or care for our Christian mission and purpose. And because of that, we face opposition, we face difficulties in trying times. So as I look at the, the book of 1 Peter, that's really what I see Peter encouraging uh, this church to be and to do, to stand up in the face of persecution and hardships and to remember to always live, live holy. And today, I think we're living in interesting times. I really do, because I believe that if you call yourself a Christian today, automatically people label you or assume that you're some kind of bigot. Amen? Right? Or if you say that you follow the Bible and that you love the Word of God, somehow all of a sudden you're a person that hates alternative lifestyles. Amen? So I believe that the church today, we as disciples of Christ, are living in interesting times just because of the person in whom we follow in the Bible in whom we read. So the question is, how does the church navigate these difficult times and continue to live in a state 
of holiness, right? If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open up to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to read verses 6 through 9. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. I want to do this. If you got your Bibles this morning or your tablets or your phone, hold them up so that we can see them. I think it's important to have a copy of this when you come to church. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. The Bible says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Highlight and underline this next verse. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And let the church say, Amen. First of all, we know that Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And throughout the Bible, this guy Peter is known for speaking before thinking. Have you been there before? Speaking before thinking. So when I think about this man Peter, this is this, this man that we're talking about. He is known for the denial of Jesus Christ. He is known for being so presumptuous to say to Jesus, hey, I want to get out of this boat and I want to walk on some water. This Peter, the same Peter who cut off the man's ear when they were coming for Jesus, this same Peter who had an argument with Paul, this same Peter was a fiery disciple of Jesus Christ. And because of his fiery personality and his love for Jesus, we know that he encountered heavy opposition, and even persecution. And that's what you encounter when you're on fire for the Lord. And we also know that because of his faith, the scholars and the early church fathers say that Peter was actually crucified because of his faith, but upside down. So this was a man who knew persecution and hardships and difficulties well. So in this letter, in this writing, he encourages his readers to remain holy and sanctified even in the midst of so much great persecution that the church was undergoing. So we know that uh, just a little historical uh, facts here. He was writing this letter to the churches that, that were in the Roman provinces and, and believers who were a part of the diaspora, if you read history and understand that. And the letter was to be read and it was to be copied and then passed along to the next church so everybody can read and, and understand. And, and the early church didn't have the New Testament as we know it, so they relied on these letters for encouragement and for their doctrine. And we get to this very powerful verse. And by the way, in your bulletins this morning, you'll have a sermon outline for those visiting. You could take that out and follow along with us and fill in the principles that are highlighted in red here. Though you have seen him, not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
You know, as I was thinking about this verse, they say preaching is really 80% listening and 20% talking. Can I get an amen? (laughs) 80% listening and 20% talking. And as I was thinking about this passage, just, just dawned on me that there is something so powerful about the gospel that causes us to believe in the story, and when I say story, the, the, the true account of Jesus without ever even meeting him. There's something so powerful about this message. And in my opinion, I think Peter here is saying, look, I think it's pretty neat that you all, you new disciples who have never met this man Jesus that I knew well and personally, have decided to believe in him, even though you've never shaken his hand as Ed was talking about this morning. Even though you've never met him, you believe in him. And because of your belief, you are filled with an inexpressible joy. Christians should be filled with an inexpressible joy. And I hope that we have that. But we both know that we meet some people that aren't the most joy-filled from time to time. But as disciples, we're, we're filled with joy because we believe in this man. We believe in him. So we should have a smile on our face, even in the midst. And this is what, this is what Peter is saying to these people, these, these scattered people. Even though you're encountering these hardships, you should have a joy about you. So when people see you, they say, there, there's something about you that is just so different. And it's contagious. So my hope and prayer is that when people walk into our church, the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, they see people filled with joy. And I'm excited and happy to report that I believe that's what people feel when they come here. They come in and they say, wow, this is, a, this is a wonderful place. And I can't explain why. But there's something here that's so special. 1 Peter 1 and 13 says this. Because of persecution and hardships, Peter is communicating to these, these, these scattered churches Because of these hardships and these persecutions and these things that you're undergoing, here's what I want you to do. I want you, therefore, to prepare your minds for action. Now, that's a very important statement. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled in the midst of all this craziness and this hardship that they're encountering. Be self-controlled and set your hope on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So in a very practical way, as we, as we exegete this passage of Scripture together, the thing that came to mind and the question that I wanted to pose to you all today is, well, how, and if you're following your outline, how can we learn to become more self-controlled when life around us is busy and scattered and difficult from time to time? How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we learn to be more self-controlled, especially during challenging times in our lives. And all of us have experienced challenging times. Just this morning, my, my heart sunk as uh, we made the announcement about the Stewart family and uh, the Hanvey family and those who have been going through hard times right now. How do, you, how do you get through that? How do you work through that? How do you process that? And the real question is, well, how do we learn this, this, this discipline? So if you have your outlines, follow along with me. I'm going to give you four points this morning on how I believe we can learn to be more self-controlled in the midst of trying and difficult times, okay? The first point is this. In order to be 
self-controlled or more self-controlled. We have to do what the scripture says in the verse number 13. It starts with mind preparation. Mind preparation. You know, there's a, a commercial that I love. They don't show it as often, but there's this guy who's getting ready to go to work, and as he's getting ready to go to work, somebody comes up to him and, and predicts the future. And they say to this guy, look, you're going to get, uh, your boss is going to fire you today. You're going to lose your wallet and your cell phone. You're going to get a car accident. And the guy who's getting ready to go to work goes, wow, at least I had my orange juice, right? At least I have the orange juice to help me through this difficult day. At least I know, and I'm prepared for it. You know, before you start every day off, you should be mentally prepared for what is going to happen that day. Now, you can't predict the future, I know that, but we have to be in a perpetual state of mind preparation, knowing that Satan is going to try to get us, going to attack us, something's going to come our way, the kids are going to act up at the grocery store, so forth and so on, right? We've got to be prepared for these things. And one of the ways that we get prepared for these things is through this discipline, and, and, and I'm going to give you a big Latin word, Lexio Divina, okay? Lexio Divina. Basically, all that means is spending time with God in solitude and silence. And I appreciate Ed talking about that in Bible class this morning. You know, for long periods of times, before Jesus was, knew he was going to encounter some difficulty or hardship, what did he do? Scripture said he would go up to a mountainside to pray. Or he would get away for a moment and pray. And you know, in the busyness of our culture, we lose time for prayer. Because the first thing, I don't know about you, but when I wake up, the first thing that I do, I try to pray, but sometimes it doesn't happen that way. The first thing that I do is get up and I turn off that alarm clock and I go, ugh, can I get five, ten more minutes, right? And then as soon as I get up, Alayla and Izzy are right there outside the door. Dad, we're hungry, right? And Mary's getting ready to go to work, so it's already busy, right, when you wake up, right? Then you feed the kids, and then you get them ready, then you go to the gym and do your workout, right, if that's what you do, or you eat your breakfast, and then you get on the road, and before you know it, the day is halfway over. And have we had any time to prepare for the day? So I believe it starts with mind preparation, and it starts with a time of solitude and silence. If you don't have it, you're already at a disadvantage. Life is challenging. And if you're not mentally prepared, those things can overcome you in a big way. They can sneak up on you. This uh, week, I was up in San Francisco in the Bay Area at, at, at Camp Parks uh, in processing for the military because you guys know I'm going back to, to, to work with the Army. I'm still around. Don't worry. I'm not going anywhere, right? It's just one weekend a month, okay? <laughs> so... Uh, um, but anyway, I was up there and they had the opportunity to go visit my sister. My sister works in San Francisco, so I had to drive into San Francisco. And in my mind, crossing the Bay Bridge shouldn't take too long. So she got off work at 5.45. I was in Dublin. That's usually a 30-minute commute, right? So I decided to leave at 5.30, right? It's enough time, you know? So as I get on the bridge and I drive into San Francisco, you know, they have these little streets and I got onto one street and I was stuck in traffic, not moving for about 30 minutes, just on one one-way street. And I had to take four more of them, right? So I'm in sitting in traffic, people are honking, cutting other people off, and my temperature began to just, you know? And then my sister calls and says, you don't care about me, right? You couldn't leave earlier to come pick me up. This is my little sister, but she's on my case, and I'm just losing it, right? 
I wasn't prepared for all that. My mind wasn't prepared, and Satan snuck up on me. <laughs> and if we're not careful, that can happen if we're not prepared in our mind for certain things. If I had knew, no, it was going to take that long, I would have left earlier, and I would have played the fish in my car on the way to go pick her up while I was stuck in traffic. But anyway, point number two is this. Without mind preparation, we lose emotional control, right? So how do we become self-controlled? Mind preparation, and then emotional control. Emotional control is difficult. Have you ever lost it before? Okay, thank you. Thank you for the transparency. Just two of us. Wow, you guys are a holy church, all right? Have you ever lost it before? Yeah, all of us have before, where you just turn into the Incredible Hulk or whatever, right? We lose it from time to time, maybe in anger or maybe in fear or maybe in sorrow. And when we lose emotional control, we give Satan the keys to our car and he drives us wherever he wants to go. And you hear some people use this excuse. Well, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. That's just the type of person that I am. And I understand it, and I think there's value, and I think it's special to, for a person to wear their emotion on their sleeve, but hopefully it's not a big one. It's a small one, right? Because I've met countless people who say, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, and they're in all kind of mess. Can I get an amen? So I don't necessarily know that that's a good thing, but I get where you're coming from, and I, I, I empathize with you. Um, I'm not quite sure that that's a good thing all the time. Um, Christians, in my opinion, should give permission to their emotions. You might be saying, well, wait, I don't know if it works that way. Just, just follow along with me, right? Um, we, should, we should be that in charge to have the, the, the strength to control certain aspects of our emotions, right, in my opinion. When I look at love, when I look at love, you know what love is to me? Love is an emotion, but love is more an action. And it's something that I have to do, that I have to consciously tell myself, right? What do I do? I think there's, there's some control that we have over that, right? And I'll leave it right there. But I think staying guarded is a sign of the lack of emotional control as well. Can I preach for a moment, a minute? You know, there's some people that say, I don't show emotion. I was one of them for a long time until I had my daughters, and now I cry when I watch movies. It's terrible. Um, but I think staying guarded is a sign of, of a lack of emotional control because we, we don't know what to do with our emotions, and that's why we keep them bottled in and keep them tight because we don't know how to handle them. Um, so I know some people that don't, you ever met people like this that don't smile at a joke? You're like, what is wrong with you? They don't cry in public because they don't know how to handle their emotions. So we have to be emotionally controlled. And I want to give you this verse to kind of help us with it. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So when we lose our emotional control, the real question is, are we being holy in all that we do? That could be a real challenge. Number three is this. In order to be self-controlled, I believe that we have to think in terms of victory all the time. Having a defeated mindset 
is deadly to the Christian. God says that we can win in Christ, but Satan says the opposite. Scripture tells us that I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength, but Satan says, no, you can't. And I think as we think in terms of victory, we have to be mindful that victory is producing spiritual fruit, not just worldly success, right? Because a lot of times we think that victory is worldly success. My 401k is doing well. I've got some money in the bank. We just bought this house in this new region. My kids are going to the greatest schools. We're able to take this vacation. That, that's wonderful, but what victory is is spiritual fruit. So the real question is not how, how much worldly success that we have, but how much spiritual fruit are we producing? That's the real question. And we often have to think in terms of victory because a lot of times we just live in this state of a defeated mindset. And I meet so many people that are a part of a church that say, hey, the church that I'm a part of, we're not doing this or we're not doing that. It's struggling. Is this, what spiritual fruit are we looking at? What are we looking at? I'm proud to say that our church is doing some wonderful work here. It's amazing. And I'm so thankful for all of you who are invested here at this church that work so hard to produce fruit here. God wants us to be fruit producers and to never get down. Never get down. Um, you guys been keeping up with the Golden State Warriors? Boo. If you're a Golden State Warrior fan, repent now. I can say that because my daughter and my wife are not here. They're huge Golden State Warriors fans. But if you've been keeping up with the Golden State Warriors, I got, by the way, I got free tickets to the finals game last week. I know, it was just a blessing. But the Golden State Warriors were down uh, 3-1, if you remember, in the series to Oklahoma City. 3-1, meaning you don't come back from that. But you know what the players on that team said? We're going to come back and we're going to win the championship. They beat OKC, and then I was at the game last week, and they whooped the Cavaliers because they had a victorious mindset. They never got down and said, we can't do it, we can win. So no matter what situation you're facing, no matter what problem you're going through right now, think win-win, and you will get through it. Because God will help you through it. And then lastly, we've got to keep trying. Oftentimes we lose self-control and we fall off the wagon. It happens to all of us. But what happens typically with a lot of people is when they fall off the wagon, they say, well, I'm already down here. I might as well stay down here for a while. Maybe wait till the new year to get my life right again. Right? But no, if we fall off the wagon, we lose self-control, we mess up, we got to get up and keep going, keep moving forward. Get up. And the thing that is so lovely about being a Christian is that when you fall short of God's glory, you make a mistake or you have a tragedy in your life and you mess up, you just, just completely mess it up. The scripture says when you pray to God and ask for forgiveness and you repent of your sins, he gives you a brand new start. That's what's just so amazing about being a Christian. So this morning, if you made a mistake, maybe in your relationship with someone, you made a mistake, right? Maybe you've done something that is not right in the sight of God, we always give an opportunity for an invitation, right? It, 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 we don't do it just simply out of tradition, or at least I hope we don't. But what we're saying, look, is if you fall short, come forward at the end of the sermon. The church will pray with you, will pray for you, encourage you. And God says, you know what? I'm giving you a brand new start right now. So when you walk out of this church building, you can say, hey, I pushed the reset button, and we're going to try again.
That's what I love about the Lord so much. He gives us a brand new start. So keep on trying. So that's how we remain self-controlled. I want to leave you with a, a, a couple of more verses, and then we'll, uh, we'll close this morning. First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse number 17. Since you call on a father who judges each worst person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Uh, Paul was communicating to these church people, look, uh, that we're undergoing persecution and hardship and trials. Look, this world is not your home. We should sing that song. Remember that? My wor- this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, right? So we're only here for a short amount of time. This is not our home. So how do we gauge success? By spiritual fruit, not by worldly success. We're just passing through just a short moment in time. So we must be about our Father's business. And then lastly, uh, 1 Peter 1 and 22, and I'll close this morning. Now that you have purified yourselves, and I love this verse because I think it's directly speaking to us and it can apply. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for the brothers, underline, highlight this one, Love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. I know a lot of people, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I know a lot of people uh, who are not from this region uh, of Southern California. Maybe you're from the South, or maybe you're from a different part of the country. And, and I, I've had conversation with you and friend you and and, and we kind of say the same thing sometimes. When you move to Southern California, it's a different culture, and people seem like they don't care about you too much. Now, for those of you who are from Southern California, Southern California, I know that's a lie. Don't believe it. Don't believe that. That's a lie. But for those of us who, who come from a different culture, we move down here, we go, wow, people here are so disconnected, and sometimes I just don't, I don't feel the love. I don't feel the love. That's why I think the church is so important in this region of the country, because we're called to break that model and that mold. We're called to love each other deeply and love our community deeply in a region of the country where people say, I'm closing my garage door and I'm leaving. I don't have anything to do with you. I see you. Hi, bye. Let's keep it moving. We're called to love each other deeply. And the question is, how do we do that and what does that look like? How do we love each other deeply in a, in a culture where we're so disconnected? How do we do that? Well, I want to leave you with some, some practical application this morning as we kind of ponder this question together. Uh, Paul, uh, or Peter, again, teaching these, these church people, look, you're going to experience difficulties, persecution, hardships. Uh, at the end of this chapter, verse number 22, he says, above all this, when, when all this stuff happens, make sure you love each other deeply. So I want to get, leave you with some practical application this morning that I want you to uh, apply to your, to your walks of faith that really might benefit you as we consider this text of 1 Peter together in being self-controlled, right? So the first thing I want you to do... Oh, whoops, you didn't see that. Uh, the first thing that I, I want you to do, uh, practical application, okay? This is going to help you this week. I, I thought long and hard about this. <laughs> long and hard. So these are some, some truths that I want you to keep with you. Okay, first thing I want you to do this week is I want you to verbalize your emotions. 
That, that doesn't mean say the bad word, okay? That, that's not what I'm saying. I want you to verbalize your emotions. It helped with me this morning, okay? I'm driving to church this morning. I'm supposed to be teaching Chuck's class. I left early this morning on purpose because I want to get there a little early and set up the classroom. I'm driving. I'm leaving out my house. You know what road is closed this morning? Marguerite. And you know where? Right in front of my house, right? And then I have another alternative route that I like to take. That route is closed off too, right? So automatically, I'm leaving out of my house and I say, I'm going to be late for Bible class this morning to teach the kids. And I left early. So I'm upset. I'm furious. And I'm driving in the car. This is on the way to church. I'm just, hey, pray for me, okay? I'm repenting now. I'm confessing, right? I'm driving and I'm just seething. Oh, why does this have to happen today? Everybody's jogging by in their sports out. Why don't you come to church is what I'm thinking in my head, right? It's terrible. I know you guys do the same thing, right? Am I the only one? <laughs> anyway, I'm just, I'm just so upset. And then Izzy asked me what's wrong. Daddy, what's wrong? And it came out. I said, you know what? I'm upset. It came out. I said, I'm upset. And she said, Dad, don't be upset. Let's just pray. I love you. You know what that did? That just calmed me down completely. I said, everything's going to be okay. I go to class, and Chuck is already in there teaching. I'm like, well, how, does this, how does this happen, right? So what I want you to do this week is when you feel those emotions coming out, verbalize them and see what happens. Because a lot of times what we do is we just keep them in until we blow a gasket, right? So if you're angry this week and you're, you're in some kind of situation, say, say it out loud. Verbalize it. I'm angry. Own it, right? Or if you're sad this week, I'm sad, right? Or if you're happy this week, I'm happy. See what it does. It gives you perspective and it allows you to own that emotion and then you can kind of do something with it, right? So that's one thing. Write that down. Write that down. I want you to verbalize your emotion this week. This will help in husband-wife relationship, friend relationships, uh, when you're in traffic, right? And anyway, verbalize your emotion. Here's another one, um, another thing that I want you to do. I want you to think about this. But brotherly kindness, as, as Scripture says, love one another deeply. How do we do that? Well, brotherly kindness equals presence, okay? You can write that down. Brotherly kindness equals presence, especially in this part of the country. So here's what I want you to do uh, this week. As you know, our church has a number of events going on over the summer, a number of events. One of the things that we have for young adults is we have the courtyard, and we've got a gathering at Lake Mission Viejo on the 18th. Another thing that we have is we have an Angels baseball game. Another thing that we have is we have a men and women's study. We have hands and feet ministry. What I want you to do this week is I want you to decide what event you're going to attend outside of Sunday morning service right? Because your presence is so vitally important. I know we're busy, but I would encourage you to say, hey, this week I'm going to decide to attend one event, one event this month outside of the regular Sunday morning service. And I'm going to say this, and you don't even have to stay that long. <laughs> you don't even have to stay that Just come, say hi, give each other a hug, and, and then leave. We want you to stay. I know that sounds bad, but just your presence, just showing up alone, communicates something. There's value and you support what, what the church is trying to do, and your presence is so important. So I would encourage you this week 
to think about what event you're going to come to outside of Sunday morning service, write that down and show up. And what it does is it really encourages the people that try to host that thing and put it on and work hard to put it together. And what you're saying to those people is, look, I care about you and I value you enough in brotherly love to come and show up. Okay? So I'd encourage you to do that this week. Lastly, what? Yeah, bring, there you go, bring donuts. <laughs> Lastly, I'm, I'm going to give you two more things and I'm going to step down. Uh, here's another one. Say thank you for the hardships you encountered this week. You know what the scripture says? Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, right? So as believers, we are called to say thank you for the hardships we're encountering. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Try it. When that coworker is trying your nerves, say, Lord, thank you for this coworker. <laughs> Maybe not that, but you know what I'm saying. Say thank you for the hardships because what it's doing is it's refining you and making you stronger. It's like a hard workout. For those of you who are running, who are athletes, you go to the gym and you work out real hard, you're tired, and in the midst of that, you, you, you say thank you because you know what it's producing in you. Change your mentality. Instead of fussing about the trial and the difficulty, say thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength and being with me so that I can get through this thing. And I know you're making me stronger because of it. And that's hard to do, but that... If we can learn that discipline, it, it, it does something very powerful. And lastly, I want to do this, um, and, and I'm saying this because of my dear sister, Mary Vaughn, who I love, love so, so much. Mary does a great job with our prayer list. Would you agree with that? She works really hard on that prayer request form. So many of you who are encountering hardships, what you do is you put a request on, on one of these cards or something, or you email the office, and we put it in the prayer um, list and in the bulletin, but then guess what? You never tell us what happened, right? Grandma was sick. Well, I guess grandma been sick for about two years now. What's going on with grandma? We don't know. So we don't know, and that very well may be the case, right? Or you had this thing going on. So one of your coworkers came down with some kind of sickness, and, and it's been three years, and we don't know what happened to the coworker, right? So what I want you to do this week, practical application exercise, if you put something down on a prayer request, and gave it and submitted it and never gave an update, it would mean so much to us if you wrote the office or wrote Mary or wrote one of our shepherds and gave us an update on what happened with that situation. Why? Number one, you can give God praise about that. And that's what we do when you come on Wednesday nights. We open up with a prayer request and we say, what good things happen? And then we talk about the victories. Oh, and it's so powerful to see that God answers prayer. So I'd encourage you to do that this week. I just want to give you a couple of practical things. So as we close this morning, and looking at 1 Peter, 1 Peter, the thesis again is, is the holy living church. How do we do this in this busy, tumultuous, difficult time? And I think one thing that we can really think about is how do we remain self-controlled so that we can be this holy church and live this thing out? We've got a song of invitation selected this morning. If there's anyone that needs to respond to the message, we invite you to come. You can come walk down the front and sit on the front pew. Some of our elders will be up here. They'll pray with you, pray for you. If you don't feel like coming down to the front, if that's too embarrassing or is that difficult, you can walk to the back, and some of our shepherds will be back there to pray with you and encourage you. Whatever your needs and concerns are, if you want to put the Lord on in baptism this morning, we've got a baptistry ready. Here is water. What doth hinder thee? You can be baptized today. Whatever your needs or concerns are, won't you come together while we stand and sing the song?
of invitation.